a little secret is even if you're not feeling super confident, just pretend you are. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we definitely got it. Absolutely. And then everyone feels really good and you can move on. Yeah. Hello and welcome to Did I Do That? It's a podcast about making graphic design and making mistakes because it's all part of the process. I'm Sean Schumacher, and joining me today, a very special guest. I I keep putting different stinks on this, and I feel like that one was not it. <laughs> oh I like no! The dramatic pause. <laughs> I'm. Sean Schumacher. That's no, right. No one was waiting for that. <laughs> uh, she's a creative director with more than 15 years of experience working across print, advertising, experience design, emerging technology, and more. Previously, she's worked for the likes of Saga City, Sasquatch, Set, Roundhouse, and Happy Lucky. And these days, she serves as a senior art director for Studio A at Adidas here in Portland. It's Emily Tate. Hello. Hi, Emily. Great to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for making your way downtown. Uh, yeah. Walking fast faces past and you're homebound that's me copyright match me for that youtube um so emily you not only spent some time on the east coast you grew up on the east coast i did did you ever happen to find your way over to minnesota out of curiosity i haven't it's actually i've got a, a good friend in minneapolis and it's big on our list of places to visit but no i haven't been to minnesota i, I was born in chicago oh really so, you... so that's my midwest experience up until the age of four but very know. close yeah yeah, yeah. Well, I bring it up because uh, Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes, mm. uh, recently found themselves in need of some design help. They have a state seal that is racist, and their state flag is just one of those that just has the state seal in the center. The, the classic lazy state flag. Yes. We can't be bothered to yes. do anything more. Yes. This is the way it's always been done. Why would we change it now? Why would we try? Mm. So they, you know, they have this problem. They have this, this, you know, terrible looking, also incredibly racist state seal and state flag. Mm. So they need new ones. And they've gotten more than 2,000 submissions. Great. Um, from everyone, children, random people, actual design firms. So there, there's some there's some flags in here that I really like. Uh, there's some great options. I'm just going to throw some out here for the viewers. They can look them up. F834, F870, F1379, F1710, F183. I went through all 2,000 of them, so I get to name those for you. Um, <laughs> but there's also a lot of really strange ones. And I feel like they really test the bounds of like design ability and mm-hmm. concept. So I, I wanted to kind of show you uh, a couple and see. sort of get your reactions to them. So this is F59. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the state bird. The state bird, which is, uh, what, what is the state bird? Uh, uh, it's a, everyone knows. Of course. It's a giant mosquito. The, uh, classically, the giant mosquito. Yeah. If you have 10,000 likes, you're going to have 10 billion mosquitoes, I would have to think. Absolutely. But otherwise, simple. Very simple. Not at all a ripoff of, say, the California state flag. Oh, I see that one, too. Which, yeah. interestingly, mm-hmm. was also separately submitted under its own number. Somebody is just a real big fan of that California flag. Yeah. That would be such an interesting challenge to be like, well, what happens if one state just steals another state's flag and it just says this name of another state on it? 
specifically California. That's, specifically that's California. taking on a big fight. Yeah. You know what I mean? A big fight with a big bear. Yep. Oh, this one's just a picture of a dog. Yeah. Someone did submit. <laughs> that's one of my favorites. Uh, do, you, do you have the number written down on that one? That's F156. So you can go on the, the state website and vote for F156, and you can make the state flag just a, just a vertical picture of a dog. A photograph. A photograph of a dog. Yeah. A vertical, <laughs> the dog is not centered is in the frame. It is important that we talk about that it's vertical yeah. as well, because it really would stand apart from other flags in that way. I, absolutely. And I mean, it is a cute dog. I love all dogs, but it is a very average looking dog. Extremely average. It's just a, a golden lab, Yeah. apparently. Middle to late age. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's you know it's got, a got a couple years on yeah. on those tires. Yeah. Very very sweet dog. Very sweet dog, but not into being the state flag mascot at all. No, a strange submission. Yeah, I would say. Oh, this one it just says it's a screenshot of a very dirty computer screen <laughs> that says I am not an artist. Dot dot dot. Just an idea. Guy. <laughs> You've 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 reached my my favorite one. Yeah. Um. I I think the one that that symbolizes what creative work is like more than anything else. Yeah. Um. I am not an artist. I am an idea guy. That's great. I, it's really good. It's beautiful. Like it's art. It is art. Is the thing. Yeah. I, I think I think the this... dirty screen really. <laughs> it's taken sets it off for me. Very steep angle on yeah. that screen. Yeah, that one gets my vote. F1717. F1717. That's the one. Friends, go go find this flag submission. Make it the official state flag of Minnesota. I don't think they have anything in place to stop that from happening, which is always what I love about these kinds of contests. Uh-huh. <laughs> Truly, they are... They are just Oh, you're going to open it up to public opinion? You sure about that? Oh, public submissions and public votes. Oh, that's that's a bad combination. Yeah. That's a really terrible combination. I mean, designed by committee, what could go wrong? <laughs> we all know that. Yeah. That's the best way. It's famously great. Yeah. Every the more the more feedback your designs get, I feel like from just random people, you know, kind of mushed together, yeah. like the better that they get. Absolutely. Like, especially if those people are like totally unqualified, totally in every unqual- possible way. maybe not even residents of the state and they don't know anything about it. Yeah. Maybe yeah. residents of California. Yeah. <laughs> is this conspiracy? Is that California one just a California land grab? They're not big enough. They want to take on they Texas. They just want it. Yeah. They're, and they're just going to annex state after state until they're, you know, bigger than Texas. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's a strategy. I've played Risk before. I've seen it work. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of interesting things happening in geopolitics right now. And states trying to take over other states would be truly something that would not be on my bingo card. No, but, but I feel like the more off my bingo card things are, the more likely they are to happen these days. Oh, that's <laughs> very true. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Um, so Emily, you grew up, I guess, in the Midwest properly in Chicago. Well, I was there. I was born there. My dad was a professor, uh, get actually getting his doctorate at University of Chicago. So we lived there. We lived in the dorms. Oh, really? I'm the youngest of four kids. My parents had four kids in a dorm apartment in, in a, the University of Chicago. Like a one bedroom? Uh, it was a two bedroom like apartment. They were like an RA oh, wow. sort of situation. 
Um, and uh, yeah, so that's where I grew up from birth until four years old. And then we moved to Virginia, where he taught at University of Virginia. And then we moved to Massachusetts um, when I was in like first grade. So that's pretty much where I consider I grew up, but have a little little piece of my heart in some of those <laughs> other areas of the country. And my parents are from North Carolina. So North Carolina is also kind of a home away from home for me. So a lot of East Coast blood in you ultimately. Definitely all East Coast. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, like when you got up to Boston, I assume that's probably where your design journey kind of picks up. Like what was your first like exposure to like thinking in that way? So like I mentioned, my parents are both educators. My mom, they're retired now, but my mom was a librarian. My dad, a professor of education. So we had early access to computers. Um, So we had some, you know, the old school Macs, uh, or we, as we called them, Macintosh. And I had access to actually like digital art, digital art creation, digital drawing pretty early. My brother uh, is actually in internet security. So he, you know, he did all the programming stuff and and hacker stuff. You know, he's a... He's a computer guy, code guy, and I remember one summer we spent the whole summer building a video game together, um, and he did all of the back end, and I did all the art, and my mom helped us because I was like 10. Um, what? And I cre- wow. Yeah, it was pretty fun. I mean, it was one of those like choose your own adventures, like turn left or open door on the right oh, kind sure. of thing. But my mom helped us, so I created a... Uh, a brand for us, you know. We were Emily, Annette, and Robert, so we were ear, and we had an, <laughs> an ear logo. And I really thought we were going to go into the video game business uh, at that point in my life. But you know, I just I started doing digital art like that and branding yeah. like that, like designing logos and stuff when I was like ten, just because I, I don't know, I just thought it was interesting, and I was always making weird things like I would make shoes out of tissue boxes or make oh my friend one of my best friends and I would hang a sheet up in my room and do photo shoots and then we'd make like fake magazine ads and fake magazines wow so you know it was always I was always making something but always something that had a purpose like I wasn't I of course I did drawing and painting and whatever just like other kids but my favorite things to do were things that had function and to me that's what crosses over into design so that's that's so interesting so you have this like video game how how did that even like start that you you got into making that like god who who could say I mean you know my that's an ambitious project. Yeah. I mean, summers were kind of interesting around my house because there's four kids and we were all out of school and my parents were teachers. So they kind of had time off, but they mostly did summer school as well. And so we were just kind of like kids with like free reign. What were we going to do? How were we going to keep ourselves busy? We didn't really do camp or anything. And yeah, I don't know. I guess probably one of my parents just introduced this program where you could create your own choose your own adventure video game. <laughs> and my brother and I were like, I want that. Some, so, some Zork maker. Out yeah. There. Yeah. And I mean, my brother and I are like, especially when we were younger, we're very different humans. So to have us like working together on something um, where each of our skills were like really focused and appreciated was pretty cool. I mean, we probably <laughs> fought. A lot, which is probably why my mom was involved in hindsight. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> makes sense. 
But I look back on that now and I think what a unique experience, especially in that time period, you know, in the early 90s to be, you know, doing digital art to be creating something like that, you know. So. Yeah. Did you get the game published anywhere? No, definitely not. Uh, I'm not even sure if we finished it. You oh, know? one of those. Summer probably. I mean, it's probably on a floppy disk somewhere because <laughs> my parents don't throw anything away. So I'm sure it's somewhere. <laughs> But, you know, I don't know if we have a floppy disk reader anymore. So. <laughs> yeah, that might actually turn out to be the hardest part of this to find. Yeah. Something that'll interface a floppy disk with a modern Mac. Yeah, I might, I might be able to go home and dig up some of my old uh, digital drawings or something. But, yeah, it's... Yeah. Uh, it was cool to to have that experience at such a young age, I think. That's I mean, that's a really exciting project. To, like did that kind of kick you off into wanting to explore that more? Like what was the what was the span of time between that and you kind of starting to treat design as more of a thing? Yeah, in high school we had some resources for design. So I really started knowing that I wanted to pursue graphic design probably around sophomore junior year of high school. Wow, that's yeah. so early. Yeah. Yeah, we had a, uh, I believe it was called print production class. Oh, sure. Yeah. Which was um, graphic design, but like no computers. It yeah. was like blue pencils, photocopying, cutting and pasting, the, you know, paste ups and like actual like old school graphic design. Wow. Mad Men style <laughs> graphic design. So that was really interesting. And, and that really appealed to me because you were really learning the basics. But I was like, also like, this is not how people do this now so we need to keep moving yeah we i was gonna to move forward with technology here i was gonna say how what what year is this where uh so that was probably that was probably uh 2001 Ooh, ooh, that's a bit that's a bit on the yeah, late side yeah, it's a little late um but that class was like a established really wonderful class we also had a really really great television production program oh, at my sure. high school too which i didn't participate in because i was sort of on the art and music track but that was a really cool experience, too, for a lot of people in my high school. So uh, just a really good school for that kind of stuff. But then my senior year, they introduced a computer graphic design class. So that's where I first learned Illustrator and had my first introduction to Photoshop and uh, just the you know, creative suite in general. Yeah, it was it was a really great experience. I took to it like immediately. It just was like my language. It just made sense. Everything just made sense to me. And it was just really fun to be able to, like, just be given prompts, honestly. Like, yeah. you know, I I had been sort of self-prompting this whole time. <laughs> and so for somebody else to be like, now we're going to do a logo for this. I was like, oh, what a great idea. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. You know? Like, do you remember any of the projects that you, you got to work on in either of those classes? I remember one specifically in the... Um, Graphic design with computers class. Um, <laughs> I, I sound like I'm like a hundred years we, old. We right should now. change the name of our program to graphic design parentheses with computers. With computers. <laughs> Just yeah. so kids know. Yeah. Um, and it was uh, a logo for like a French bakery. Ooh. And I did a, uh, it was a sort of abstract, almost Picasso-esque, very 90s. Um, oh, I, I can totally imagine you this. You know, half, yeah. two half face kind of thing, like one half of the face's profile and one half is straightforward kind of thing with a little beret, of course. Sort of different colors on each side, too. Yes. Yes. Of course, red, white, and blue for, you know, the French flag. <laughs> of 
course. And no other associations with those colors. I mean, I was really hitting this one over the head. There's no subtlety. It was literally like I had a French mustache. It was, you know, it was really uh, clear communication, let's say. Smoking a very thin cigarette, wearing a beret. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. So I remember doing that and I remember really working on that stuff. Um, and, you know, it just really made a lot of sense to me. And it became I got a sort of I got an award. Oh, did uh, you really? Yeah, there was uh, my high school gave out awards at the end of each semester, maybe each year. And um, this one was like emerging graphic design excellence or whatever, wow. which was brand new because that class was brand yeah. new. <laughs> <laughs> the class itself is emerging. Yeah. Yeah. But it was um, nice validation. It made me feel like, oh, I am good at this. OK, cool. I don't just enjoy it, but I'm good at this. And, you know, I'm getting encouragement to kind of move in this direction. And so I really knew I wanted to do graphic design going into college. Yeah. Um. Which leads me to my first mistake. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> well, uh, I initially went to a college that was a sort of heritage school for for me and my family. Oh, sure. Liberal arts school. Good school. Best, yeah. best academically school that I got into. Um did not have a graphic design program. That's a problem. Yeah. It's, yeah. I you, knew. You can't just make those. Yeah. I, I definitely knew that that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And seemed like not a big deal at the time. <laughs> well, you you did get lucky in high school and one sort of magically appeared. Yeah. But it's hard to think that that's going to happen twice. Yeah. Yeah. And and it wasn't. And I actually knew because it was a sort of heritage thing. My sisters went to the school and they had a friend who was a very successful designer out outside of college. And I even asked him about it. And he was like, oh, yeah, like, oh, no. no. Yeah. He's like, Oof. you're going to be a fine art major and you're going to just have to, like, do your own thing. Oh, boy. And I was like, great. <laughs> that's not what you want to cool. hear. That's what I want. But I uh, I was really thinking more about just like getting away from home, having a traditional college experience and this school just kind of like had a soft spot in my heart because of I had visited my sisters there and all this stuff. So I don't want to, you know, it was a great experience. I got a lot of my prerequisites out there. Um, and I had the fine art major was really interesting. It uh, definitely convinced me that a fine art major was not the correct path for me. Oh, no. Oof. In many ways. But in the same way, I was really challenged because I would take like a sculpture class and I was like, I do not know how to make something out of stone. <laughs> Wait, they, were they not giving you any instruction about how to oh, make anything out of, of stone? Of course there was instruction. But listen, like my hands didn't do it. My brain didn't do it. Yeah. It just wasn't, you know, in my my final for my sculpture class ended up being this like four tier uh, I built these boxes out of wood and then I just like filled them with like props and it was like communicating the the elements. Right. So there was like water and it was all these glasses that I got from Goodwill filled with different colored water. And then wind was like these little fans that blew these like little streamers. And this sounds you know, cool. It was cool, but it was not traditional sculpture, no. right? Like this is still a graphic designer doing sculpture. Yeah. This is me being like, if I need to make sense of this, don't just ask me to like 
take a piece of rock and make it beautiful. Like that yeah. is not my specialty. They, they want something <laughs> with the art aura and you're trying to make something fun and interesting. Yeah, and I appreciate art. I love observing art. But for me, it's always been about communication. Yeah. So I found that really challenging about being a fine art major and humbling, you know, really humbling to be like this art is my thing. This is my thing. This is what I'm good at. And then to find plenty of areas of art that I am not, in fact, good at. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I think uh, you you either think in sculpture or you don't. I, yeah. I think that's that one's pretty. And some of the kids in my class were incredible. And they were and, you know, they were not people who were told they were creative growing up. Oh, interesting. You know? And so like because it was a liberal arts school, most of the kids in my art classes were just taking it as just like an extra curricular class. Like they weren't oh. taking it for their major. Most of the kids in my class weren't art majors or very few art majors. Huh. And so it was really interesting to watch these students excel who never thought of themselves as creative. Yeah, right? somebody in the economics or program or something. Yeah, exactly. Or pre-law, you know? <laughs> and Oof. and it's so interesting. That's like one of the big points that blows me away from that part of my life, from being a kid up until deciding to pursue art as a career, is I was always told that I was very creative and that I was good at drawing or good at this, good at that. And so I just was like, yeah, cool. I'm yeah. good at this, you know, and I knew that. And I had a lot of friends who would do art with me. And when we were young, we would draw together and we'd take photo, you know, we'd do photography together and all this stuff. And then at a certain point, you just watch your friends start to like fall away from the oh, arts and start to yeah. tell them, oh, no, I'm not good at that. I'm not, I'm not creative like you or whatever. And yeah. I'm like, that's. Can I swear on here? Please. That's bullshit. It is. It you is know? absolute bullshit. Because I really believe that the skill of art is learned. Yeah. As anyone who spent any time learning to draw knows, seeing how to draw, like figure drawing, for example, seeing a human form and being able to draw it. Yeah. That takes practice. That takes skill. But anybody can do that. And in fact, if your perspective isn't exactly like the perspective of this teacher, this other student, like that's a really positive thing. That's a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and the world should see how you see it. Yeah. You know, so I think um, I'm sort of rambling now, but I think the point is that like watching people who weren't necessarily encouraged in art excel in art was just really inspiring, even as I was encouraged in art. And was sort of failing at it. <laughs> <laughs> so you are kind of towards the end of your arc at this school, yes. realizing that you actually need design, that this fine art thing is not mm -hmm. going to be enough. Mm -hmm. What? How do you how do you switch over? Like, yeah, so, at, this is also a, a school with a connection to your family. So is that a complicated situation, too? You know, uh, I thought it might be. But turns out my parents were just like, yeah, we never thought you should have gone there. <laughs> You know, like Good they were parents. happy to have the reason to go visit or whatever. But they were like, yeah, you should have gone to art school. You yeah. don't know what you're thinking. Um, so they were supportive. It was tough. It was a tough transition. I had to. So I left uh, Wake Forest is the school that I went to in North Carolina. Wake Forest, the school with the most horrifying mascot that's the ever. The Demon Deacon. The Demon Deacon. <laughs> oh, good God. Yeah. It's a. It's a. It's just an old man in a bow tie, <laughs> tails, just 
terrifying the college students. An actual nightmare that mm-hmm. that that sort of like forget Slender Man. Demon Deacon needs to be in yeah. in horror movies. Yeah, he's he's special. But you know, but that you know, but that sort of is part of it, right? Like you don't necessarily get that at art school. You don't get the football team, the basketball no. team, the sororities and fraternities for better or worse the you know all the just lore the college experience right and that's why i went there yeah um you know i think i've always valued being a person and having a well-rounded life and a well-rounded experience necessarily over maybe the most practical decision Uh, so that's why I ended up there. But then transferring out, it wasn't that hard to convince my parents. They were on board. And uh, I had some friends who had been doing night art classes at Massachusetts College of Art and Design or oh, Mass Art. As yeah. They were living in a disgusting apartment in <laughs> Alston. Um, and I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. I couldn't wait to have that kind of freedom to live in a big city, to live off campus, to be surrounded by grunge and dirt and inspiration. Other people who were, you know, working in thrift shops and restaurants and going to school at night. And, you know, it's just a real diversion from the, you know, beautifully manicured quad of of Wake Forest. Yeah. Yeah. You're not you're not going to get anything like that with a good old grungy art school. Yeah. So you're you're immediately in love with mass art. So I love this idea of moving to Boston, moving in. I shared a bedroom with my friend Kyle and I had, you know, my it was a very large bedroom. I had my own (laughs) my own bed. Um, But you are kind of getting the dorm life. Yes, it was it it was something. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, I moved in with my friends that I had known since high school. They were all pretty creative. Everybody is in music or art in some way. It was really, really cool in that way to be around people who were pursuing art and music in their lives and started going to mass art at night. So I transferred out of Wake Forest halfway through my junior year. And I took night classes at Mass Art to fulfill their like initial prerequisites for design, like foundations. Yeah, type the foundation stuff. stuff yeah. Exactly. And by the time I transferred into Mass Art fully, I was a sophomore. Oh, so ooh, yeah. Ooh. But here's the silver lining: was that I had pretty much taken care of almost all of my prerequisites as far as just like general education stuff. So. I really got to focus on design and design only. That's pretty good. Much. Yeah. And that was really, really good for me, actually, yeah. because I was actually kind of struggling in the liberal arts environment where I'm the kind of person where, like, if I really care about something, I'm so motivated and I'm so committed. But if I don't really care about it, I just really struggle. <laughs> And that's sort of how I felt in the liberal arts environment. But once I was able to really start focusing on design, it just it was like a job. You know, like I was really in it. I was fully committed. I really wanted to, you know, get A's, you know, for whatever grading is worth on design projects. But, you know, I really wanted to be an exemplary student because um, it really meant something to me to be good at design and to learn as much as I could and 
to just continue to challenge myself and continue to create better and better work. Yeah. So that was really cool. You know, I got to experience a little bit of diversifying my education. And then I got to experience almost like grad school or something, this super specialized focus. Yeah. I mean, that would be such a such an intense go. I, I do also want to back up and see, like during the time when you were doing night school, like what else were you doing in Boston? Like, mm, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can, I mean, I can say some of it. Uh, I worked at a awesome, very grungy thrift store um, with my friends. I, you know, I grew up in the Boston area, so I had a lot of friends who lived in Boston. Boston is a college city. For, oh yeah. For people who don't know. So you know, my friends, I think like one of my friends went to Mass Art, but I had all of these, this whole network of other friends who went to BU and uh, Northeastern and, you know, just all over. And so it was this really fun time of going to show a lot of shows, working, you know, hungover at the thrift store. <laughs> um <laughs> I worked at like a clothing store for a while too. That was like a swanky job. They had like night like hundred dollar jeans, you know. Oh, so wow. I was like, I've made it. This you was know? I'm no the longer... days before all jeans were a hundred dollars. Well, yes, oh. yeah. Um, but also like I'd come a long way from like the thirty dollar couch, you know. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it, it was just a lot, you know, we'd go to baseball games at Fenway. We would, um, you know, I really loved Boston in those days. It's funny. It got exhausting and Boston's a really expensive city. So mm. when you're young, you're really like, you're like, I just want one apartment that doesn't have mice. Like that would be nice. <laughs> You know, you're not staying in the nicest places. You're not going to the nicest haunts. No. Um, But it was just really fun spending lots of time with friends, did a lot of trivia, a lot of music, actually. A lot of my friends from back then are, are still musicians to this day, actually, which is really cool. So, yeah. That feels like such a great setup to go into art school, too, with like, yeah. you know, you're just you're, you're getting to immerse yourself in this like weird artist side of the community that you grew up in. Like, yeah. And and like I said, just total um, just a real departure from like what I was experiencing at Wake Forest yeah. in like the you know fraternity and sorority world. Uh, so, yeah, it was very freeing in that way. I was also closer to my family. Um, which was nice. Got to see my parents. My parents actually sold the house that I grew up in around those years and moved into the dorms at Boston University. <laughs> so they they wanted to get back to dorm life. They loved dorm life. Well, you know, dorm life is free. Oh, so, well. Yeah. So it, they ate in the cafeteria, so they didn't oh. have to cook. It was pretty sweet. So they lived actually just down the street from me on Com Ave for, you know, a couple of years. So I would meet them in the cafeteria every morning for breakfast. And <laughs> Hey, hey, Portland State University, maybe instead of knocking down your old buildings, maybe let faculty members live in them for free. It's Who a great knows? Idea. I would love that. It's a great idea. Yeah. Um, and they loved it. They always loved being around. I mean, they really, really loved being around young people. So, you know, it's a great experience for them. So going to visit them was really cool. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun days and and definitely creatively really inspiring. 
and also rough. Yeah. <laughs> rough yeah. days. <laughs> so how did you how did you take that energy into this like intensive gauntlet of of graphic design classes yeah. that you took? Yeah, you know, I feel like the program at MassArt not having a lot of things to compare it to necessarily, but is pretty rigorous and they really they said as much. Um, they were like, there's 60 of you now. There will probably be 30 when you graduate. They you literally know? did the look both sides on you. and A little bit. Yeah. One of you will be gone. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it was, and it was true. And they had really, really high standards for our, you know, final portfolio reviews at the end of each semester. And some of their strictness actually applied to craft as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of funny looking back on I mean I'm glad I learned it but it's definitely something that has not applied <laughs> since no offense well um, once once you get pretty much to the art director level, craft ceases to be as much of a thing I yeah think. well especially now I'm in I'm in the digital realm exclusively yeah. but you know, if you made a hardcover book and if there was glue visible it was like the cardinal sin <laughs> And, oh no. Yeah, and and so it was um it was really challenging in that way. You really felt like you every detail of what you were going to show them was going to be picked apart. Yeah. And I developed some pretty tough skin in those days and I think that is another mistake that I had in those early days which is that I thought I was 100% right always. Oh no. Oh always. no. And <laughs> that won't work. I know and so it was again like this experience of being sort of humbled, you know, coming into an experience where you've done something and you think it's wonderful and hearing people be like, "Ooh, that's not really it. Like, I think we need to rethink this. We need to adjust this. You know, this is I know you think this is done, but it's not quite done. Yeah. It was the first time I had kind of been challenged in that way. It was the first time I had been in like a more advanced design atmosphere where the teachers are all real designers. They know what they're talking about. And you know, also hearing things from them where we're, you know, the whole class is complaining about timelines and they're like, you're so lucky you've had a month to work on this. <laughs> you know, in the real oh. world, you'll have a week, you know. Yeah. So, and and the content that you have will change three times in that week. Absolutely. Yeah. You have free reign a little bit. Right. You get to make this what you want to, which is not really the case in the real world as much. So I thought there were some really good lessons there just about preparing us for the outside world and most of our classes were just critique for like four hours. Wow. And so it would be like, you know, everyone would show their work and everyone critique. So you would get the experience of receiving critique, but you also got the experience of giving critique. And I thought that that was really, really valuable and has served me really well. Yeah, it's so important to do both. Yeah. It, like also it changes the way you critique. Oh, I made I made someone cry once. I'll never forget it. Really? Yeah, and it and I didn't say anything particularly rough, but I wasn't reading. She was feeling really insecure yeah. about what she had done. And I thought it was good. Yeah. Or at least fine, you know? And so I was kind of trying to reassure her and it actually made her feel worse. Yeah. And uh you know, I'll never I'll just never forget that. It it's something that has really stuck with me about um giving critique with empathy and just like understanding that not everybody is like you or will receive feedback the same way you might. Yeah. 
that's a really, really huge thing. And that's a, a great skill to have yeah. coming out of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, what kinds of work were you doing in those days? Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite classes was a poster design class, but it was by a teacher who specifically focuses on like political and social statement. Um, so we did a really fun uh, oh, fun, I guess it's not the right word. Uh, oh, no. Please strike that from the <laughs> We did some really interesting projects where we actually learned about what was going on in the world, which I thought was really an interesting way to teach, right? So we yeah. made like a poster series for Darfur at the time. Oh, yeah. Um, we made a poster series about pollution and alternative modes of transportation and you know so i think that really hit hard with me too as far as how design can translate into activism yeah and that was really special i hadn't really thought of design in that way before i was initially really inspired by like rock posters and you know i had like the woodstock poster on my wall and was really interested in like anti-war posters and stuff like that but I had never really thought about the context behind them I just kind of thought they were cool yeah that was a really special class and a great learning experience I also really enjoyed the projects that we did that focused around uh, publication design so magazines and books oh yes so I kind of got in and that was actually where I did the best I performed the best I think was um, my magazine layout creating systems for layout for magazine series or a book series um, my se- one of my senior thesis projects was these pop-up books that were <laughs> not fun again <laughs> but they were focused around social issues so one was like about landmines and you know things things yeah that that doesn't sound fun no No. um it was pretty odd to like make a pop-up of those kinds of things but again i was trying to take what i had learned about how design can translate into activism and raise awareness and this like really do something really beautiful with something really dark and then also my love for like bookmaking um and again not necessarily the craft of it although i did pretty good i would think to do i mean to do a pop-up is so much work like you gotta have great craft it was a lot of work you know i think my craft improved a lot over the time i was there for sure but that sounds really cool yeah it was it was um it it was enlightening to me that i was like i think i want to get into magazines yeah i think that's what i want to do so that's actually what i did yeah so you 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 hopped right out of school into the magazine game pretty much yeah i uh actually towards the end of my school right around the time i was graduating uh, i had a friend who was a writer at a small musician's trade magazine called performer magazine it's nationally distributed i love trade magazines yes so good it's you know it's i haven't seen it in a while i believe it's still around um at the time, maybe still, it was newsprint and half black and white, half color. Oh, I think that kind of trade magazine. Like, trade yeah. magazines are essentially cockroaches. They will outlast the entire rest yeah. of the print industry. Well, and it's because the overhead's pretty low, Yeah, you know? And, you know, my friend was the writer. There was the publisher who is the founder and, like, the guy who, like, runs this whole magazine. And then there was me because they – the original challenge was – they were like, hey, all of our files have been built in Quark. Oh, no. 
<laughs> no, no. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know what that is, mm. but I've heard of it because, you know, we had heard of it throughout design school, but we never creative suite was already the standard by the yeah. time I was in school. And so you heard the legends. Yes. And I was like, I can't open these files, but I could redesign and recreate everything about this magazine for you. And they were like, deal. Can you do it by next month? Because we need to start immediately. Oh, no. Yeah. That's so, a big job. And it was, but I wasn't really afraid of big jobs at that point because I had been really pushing it at school, you know, a lot of late nights. And I think I was just kind of like ready for the hustle, as they say. Yeah. And hungry, hungry for it. And what a cool opportunity, right? I got to, I got to art direct and redesign this magazine right out of school. Yeah. You know, it was just such a wonderful experience. Uh, I didn't get to like go on photo shoots and take it was like PR photography generally from the bands but it was some of it was so awesome and so good so I got to design you know feature articles around it and introduce really all the um, restrictions were you know off I could I could just kind of do whatever I wanted to do because I had no, no design person around me it was just me um, what an incredible like playground to step into. Yeah, it was really fun. And and also I was so I just think about how cocky I was to think <laughs> I could take that on. <laughs> I again, this is it's the it's the the curse and the blessing of thinking that I was always right. Like, obviously, um, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and it was great. It was it came out monthly, so it was like that regular amount of money that I had. And I had an internship at the Improper Bostonian, which is a much more established uh, city magazine in in Boston. And you know, it just kind of allowed me to move. It allowed me to move out here because I had that little bit of steady income that I knew I could work remotely and bring it wherever I wanted. Oh, nice. Um, and so yeah, I kept that job for a while. I had several different designers come in and help me at different points where I would sort of just like split the money with them and be like, you take these articles, I'll take these articles. <laughs> Cause you know, a lot of it too is just, is just type. Like, you know, yeah. it's just all the listings of all the shows that are coming, you know, to town and, and, and it's nationally distributed. So like all the major cities. So a lot of it was just like fine print, like try to make it all fit on one page kind of thing. But it did have these amazing features and stuff, too. So it was just such a really, really cool experience. And I really wish I had some to show you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that I mean, that sounds incredible. So it seems like you have a great setup in Boston. What made you want to come out here? Oh, yeah. Okay. so while I was in college, I did have an internship out here. My sister moved out here when I was still in high school. I actually came out here. I like bought my prom dress out here when I was a senior in high school. Loved it. Portland is so cool. You know, I bought it at it. Like I bought like a seventies disco dress at a secondhand (laughs) store here in Portland. That was like also a coffee shop, you know, like it was just, I was in love with Portland. What a cool, weird city, you know? So I always knew I'd like to come back at some point. And then, uh, in college at mass art, I got an internship at Sandstrom Partners here. Oh, yes. The great packaging design yes, from Sandstrom. Yes. So that was 
those were the days when I really thought that branding and packaging was something that I would be really interested in. I had a great mentor, a great boss here, Mark Coza. He's um, has his own agency in town now. But he was just so encouraging, so laid back. I felt so supported by that whole team. They really were like a little family. They like teased me and pranked me. Um, <laughs> I actually, so? Well, I left my Pandora. It was, you know, before it was the days of Pandora. Oh, yeah. I left my Pandora, I guess, logged in when I left because for like years they would just play like William Shatner radio. <laughs> On my Pandora when I wasn't, you know, they would just log in just to mess with me. But they... She sells seashells at the seashore. You know, I'd be like playing it at a party or something and William Shatner would come on. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Um, But it was a lovely place to work. Really great people. Obviously, their work is just so incredible. I never expected to get that internship. Honestly, I was just throwing darts at a board. I was like, I want to go to Portland. I want an internship. I just feel so lucky that Mark saw something in my work that he liked. And, you know, he's he's still a friend to this day. And I just think like that experience was so invaluable. They had me as an intern. My ideas. My concepts made it into presentations. I presented. Wow. I presented to clients. That's an incredible internship. It. I was. I was like, they're really going to let me do this. <laughs> Are they sure? <laughs> um. But again, so cocky. Yeah. So I was like, of course they are. <laughs> Um, I mean, in a way, that kind of confidence is very useful in a client presentation. I mean, I was sweating it for sure. Oh well. But uh, they. They were just so supportive and and their attitude there and certainly Mark's attitude was very laid back and very like he expected us to do really interesting and unique work always. Like I showed him things that I thought were good, but they were maybe expected. And he was like, no. You know, and then I would show him something and I was like, I don't know what about this. He's like, this is exciting. And so that was just a really cool environment to kind of be a part of. And thank you, Mark, wherever you are. So they were my first introduction to being in Portland. I lived here for a summer and then I drank way too many IPAs. That was (laughs) danger. It was certainly the era of that. Dangerous. Yeah. I didn't know, you know, your Sam summer ales don't hit quite as hard. (laughs) So, some some heavier stuff. Yeah, yeah. But it was a really, really great time. Stayed with my sister and just really got to know Portland. And so then uh, when I graduated, I knew I wanted to come back. And I got the opportunity to come back because of this performer magazine that I was art directing um, and that that was remote. But then also I got hooked up with this design co-op of sorts where it was a bunch of freelancers. So this was after 2008, right? Famously great time. People yeah. people love that time. So what had happened was there <laughs> uh, were a lot of people who were unemployed and a yeah. lot of empty office space. And so uh And unlike now, they wanted the office space to be cheap so yeah. that people would rent it. Ex- absolutely. If only. Yeah. yeah. Only they would bring back that system. It worked, you know. It so, did. So I got hooked up with this um, freelance co-op. We worked on some projects together, including Letterbuck Cologne, which was the official cologne, the official fragrance 
of the Pendleton Roundup. What? If you can imagine what that might smell like. <laughs> well, my grandfather competed at the Pendleton Roundup. Stop. So That's so cool. Yeah, he's world-famous rodeo clown, Jimmy Schumacher. What? Uh, and former bronc rider. I love that. Yeah. So That's we, so cool. We got to go to the Roundup, which was like a really unique experience for me. I'm not, not being a West, an out West gal, you know? Yeah. We worked the whole time peddling cologne, but it was, uh, yeah, such a cool thing, the Pendleton Roundup. I imagine if the cologne is, because if there's one thing I know about rodeos, there's quite an odor to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So probably something to overpower that is, yeah. is I mean, it was welcome. strong. <laughs> and it smelled like cologne. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a hippie... <laughs> Hipster cologne. It was a man's cologne, you know? Um, so it was, uh, that was a really fun experience. So we all worked on that together, like as a as a studio, but then we all had our, our own individual projects as well. So I still had my magazine and stuff like that. So I did that probably a year, maybe a little bit less. And then I got my first big kid job at Portland Monthly Magazine. Oh, big leagues. Yeah. So that was my first experience with, you know, a traditional work environment. And that's what when you said initially Saga City Media, that's Portland Monthly. They also have Seattle Met Magazine and um, a couple titles in Colorado and some bride and groom magazines and stuff like that. So I worked technically for Saga City, which so meant that I did a lot of marketing design for all those titles. But I sat in the room with the Portland Monthly art directors for the magazine. So oh. I had this community of really seasoned, amazing art directors who were doing the photography, who were doing, you know, all the layout who were hiring illustrators who were really doing what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and they, every once in a while, would throw me a bone. I got some opportunities to do. There were some inserts and booklets that were like a health annual. And that health annual sort of bridged the gap between like, you know, through editorial and commercial. Yeah. And I got to kind of live in that world because I was hired as the marketing designer. So I was doing design for all of their events and sales materials and occasional like ad designs and stuff like that and had a really, really wonderful boss there. She was the audience development, you know, manager. So oh. I wasn't even departmentally, I wasn't part of the design team. Yeah. I was part of the marketing team. So it was an interesting position where I was sort of working independently. I hired a junior designer to work with me. I had interns that I had to keep busy. I developed a process for how you submit a request for design. That's very important. Um, yeah. So it, there was a lot of business knowledge that I learned there, but also just being around these amazing art directors who were making this beautiful magazine was super valuable as well. Like what brings you on to your next step? Because like, do you continue at uh, Saga City or like? Yeah, so I was there for almost two years, and I felt like the transition to digital was happening. Yeah. Um, and that print was struggling, and I decided that I really wanted to get some more experience, a more diverse design experience in, in the real world. And so that's when I wanted to step into the agency world. Oh. Yes. And so my next step was to a place called Sasquatch 
and they're a great agency in town. They do mostly local work with local clients, um, which was really cool, right? So it's still these bigger opportunities, well-known local clients, you know. So my main account there was Burgerville. And I, oh, yeah. while we were there, we reshot all of their food photography. I worked with Polara Studio. You know, I, I was still very fresh and young at this time. I had certainly not done a lot of photo art direction. And they really took me in and gave me a lot of respect and gave me a lot of patience and also taught me about photo shoots, which was really incredible. Um, wow. So thank you to them. And so we reshot all of their food photography. We designed billboards. We designed all their signage. We redesigned their typefaces. We re They really went through a rebranding. We even tweaked their logo at that point in time. Yeah. Would this have kind of, because I think of them now as like kind of the fast food place that actually has a sense of design yeah. to it. Like, yeah. Would that have been sort of the start of that trajectory in a way? Like, I, I think it probably was actually. Yeah. I mean, it, it had some design to it as we were redesigning it, but it wasn't incredibly modern. And I think that they were reinvesting in their marketing in that yeah. time. And we got to be a part of that. And it was just pretty much <laughs> pretty much just me and my project manager, Allie. We were both like 24 and cared a lot. And luckily, she was a powerhouse. And we were able to, I think, do something pretty impressive. But it was... Uh, it was a real learning experience. I was doing a lot of things I had never done before. Oh, I bet. And um, the parts and pieces that must go into a brand like that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, some of it is still alive today. They've they've gone through uh, a rebranding since then. But if you look at the uh, small dip packages. <laughs> So everybody That's go, all me, baby. go out to your local Burgerville, get yourself a small dip, <laughs> uh, any particular small dip or, or just I think all the all small of them. dip. Okay. I think all of them. And sometimes when I, you know, drive through, there'll be a sticker or something on the window that I'm like, oh yeah, I did that. <laughs> no, no fast food place seems to have goo gone. They, yeah. Cause McDonald's all have stickers from the 1980s no, stuck well, all over them. And you know, it only look worse if they actually just had like sticky residue all over the window. So you might as well just keep the old stickers up. Yeah, that, that really, uh, you don't want anything really making the vibe seem actively bad when yeah. you go get fast food. Yeah. So that's a very big project to be taking yes, on. Yes, that and... was huge. And then um, I also worked on France, France Bread. Oh, another so huge an company. Another thing that you'll see out in the world today are their yellow trucks with bread and wheat on the back and a little cursive slogan on the side and you know that's me you you were the ones who who like actually <laughs> redesigned those trucks yeah wow that's yeah. crazy yeah I, very large files yeah i bet yeah i can't imagine <laughs> what the resolution is because those are oh man those the are resolution like, on that bread i'll tell you yeah was a, a real production challenge like but. i always like to tell students like you know a billboard is big but like it's like 14 dpi right like, it's far away but a truck you mm -hmm. you can get up close to a truck yeah that's yeah. wow yeah so it's kind of funny seeing those still around town and probably for a long time because re you know reskinning a whole fleet of trucks i'm sure is not an easy or cost-effective undertaking no. so i'm sure they'll be around for a little bit they have a lot of them i used to live right by the franz bakery oh nice wow. it smelled delicious oh, oh it's my favorite <laughs> place to walk past 
just a just a magical place although you were always concerned you were gonna get hit by a truck (laughs) yeah oh i'm sure um so yeah like taking on some big clients with uh Mm -hmm. you know with sasquatch like what's your next step where do you go from there yeah so from there i i did like one small um nike job at sasquatch and that was really interesting to me i was like cool window design retail design because i had started touching point of sale a little bit with burgerville specifically but getting into you know the more experiential realm of like retail design was really interesting and um so i got the opportunity to go to a place called set creative um i was there for less than a year uh it was very intense experience it was i worked a lot um and i learned a lot of things about boundaries there um good good to learn but also bad to be in the learning process of it was tough it was tough but i learned i truly if i'm going to focus on the positive i truly learned some skills there that my career would not be the same without and i worked with again some some really wonderful creatives and that's also where i learned sketchup so i started to get into the 3d world again i was forced to learn sketchup (laughs) again i was like no i don't do that i'm not a 3d designer and they're like you are now yeah here you go (laughs) and they took me kicking and screaming and you know what i learned it and it is why i got the next job that i got that i was at for four and a half years um so learning retail design working on global clients like nike and arcteryx and oakley having the opportunity to work with photographers having the opportunity to create stuff that was going to be seen by the world in this really big way working with just bigger budgets like being able to like build something really incredible well, that's it, it was yeah, a fun experience. I mean, that's a like it is something magical to see your work in print, but to like actually have an environment come to life that you like helped make. Yeah, like, this was just a file in SketchUp on your computer, and now you're standing in it. Like, Absolutely, and I would say it's one of the biggest surprises of my career because I didn't. I really thought I was going to be in this world of print, you yeah. know, and so to move into this world of like experiential, like immersive design was not something I had considered. Like, as we already talked about, I knew about graphic design from an early age, but I thought of it more as logos and packaging and posters and, you know, that kind of thing. I didn't really think about it in this realm of, like, this is a whole space that you walk into and everything you're surrounded by is curated by somebody thoughtfully. Um, And it's storytelling. It's still storytelling. And... Really where I started to focus on the consumer journey is through retail design as well. That's huge. So yeah. you're you're doing you're doing big global stuff now and yeah. literally big stuff because you can stand in it. Yeah. Um I mean I guess you could stand in a magazine, but you'd have to put it on the floor and Yeah, it wouldn't be quite the same. Not quite as in, yeah. enticing. Um and it damages the magazine in most cases. <laughs> um after you leave set, like where do you go? So next I went to Roundhouse, which is sort of the biggest pillar 
of my career. I moved around a lot, as you can tell through this conversation. <laughs> Everybody does, though. Yeah, like, I mean, it's for me, so unusual it was to what see... I had to do, you know, yeah. to figure out where I needed to be. And I landed at Roundhouse. And at Roundhouse, I really was offered the opportunity to grow while I was there instead of feeling like in order to grow, I had to go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and I worked hard for those chances. I, I fought for those opportunities. I think in any, in any job, it's easy for people to just kind of see you as somebody who does this one type of work. And you have to sometimes say, well, I'm also interested in that. I really want to learn that. Yeah. And I had to do that for sure. But I started out there as a retail designer because I had that SketchUp experience now and that retail experience. And that's also where I started working on Adidas. So Adidas then sort of became my bread and butter throughout the entirety of the rest of my career, but started out doing retail, quickly evolved to experiential events and activations, and then started to move into the world of like toolkits and campaigns. So starting to get more into like photo and video content creation, working more with photographers and videographers, Wow! Um, you know, creating graphic assets. And Roundhouse has a photo studio in-house. So the experience of just being able to like pop down and try something, you know, and just like shoot it real, even if it's on my iPhone, but in a photo environment where the lighting's good and you have a photographer there to advise you. and Yeah, that seems like a huge asset to have. Yeah, it was a really, really good learning experience. And just being being able to have that exposure to how content creation works, that's like one of the biggest pieces of advice that I would, you know, put out into the world. Yeah. If anyone wanted any advice from me, would be to just be a sponge and learn from the people around you as much as possible. Like you should put yourself into positions where you are uncomfortable and the other people around you know so much more than you. <laughs> and then you should learn you should learn from them, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, keep your opinion, keep keep your vision, but listen to them about how you might be able to accomplish that. Learn from them about why that is or is not maybe an easy to execute idea or why that is or is not going to be successful. So I think I learned a ton from all the creative partners that I was with. And, you know, just such I'm just so lucky that everybody had so much patience with me as a young art director. And I also remember at one point, a big lesson I learned was that you do need to have an opinion. Yeah. Oh, um, God, yes. People look to you for answers. That is like your job as an art director on set is like you need to be able to answer people's questions. Sometimes I still will say, huh, that's a good question. What do you think? But I was doing that maybe a little too much early. Yeah. And I think it's important to know that people do appreciate you treating them as a partner, but ultimately you need to have answers for people too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Like, I feel like I, I have that conversation with students all the time about, yeah. like, the feedback that you give can't be, oh, that's okay, or that's that's just fine. Like, it's it's got to be more specific or else they have nothing to go on. And a little secret is, even if you're not feeling super confident, just pretend you are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we definitely got it. Absolutely. And then everyone feels really good and you can move on. Yeah. So great. <laughs> and if you need to do reshoots, just do reshoots. Every movie does it now. Oh, so yeah. 
Yeah. If if the world's top directors do it, then you can do it for, you know, this campaign. It's fine. Yeah. You know, and I think like a big mistake I made in those days was sort of a mistake, but again, something I don't regret and I still try to bring into my work these days, which is I was too ambitious, right? I didn't really understand what I was asking for always. And oh. so I would often be like, okay, I know we only really need like two images at the end of this, but I want to shoot it like 70 different ways, you oh, know? No. <laughs> <And> <laughs> oh no. So I think there's this being too ambitious uh, is a really positive thing in early stages of a project, but it's great to rein that in mm -hmm. when you actually go <laughs> into production. Um, so that's something I've learned a lot. And I've learned it through working with amazing photographers, amazing producers, people who push back on me a little bit. And they're like, OK, do you think it's worth it? Because it's going to take us this long to reset all the lights oh. or, you know, those kinds of those kinds of lessons that it's really important to learn, I think. But I wouldn't say stop being ambitious. Yeah. It's just know when to be ambitious and then when to get really practical that's a great lesson for mm -hmm. folks so like that kind of takes you at roundhouse to adidas ultimately like yeah well actually so uh i went from roundhouse to happy lucky which oh, is yeah that's right another agency uh, as associate creative director there and it's another agency that where i worked primarily with adidas and a little bit with reebok as well and really i as an associate creative director there it was my first management experience, like real management experience. Oh, like, yeah. Uh, multiple people uh, remote as well. I was managing in New York and L.A. Um, it was a lot of strategy, a lot of community. I worked with the Adidas community, uh, women's community in New York and in L.A. So it was like a lot of strategy and community, community building work, which is a whole new aspect of design. There's a lot of events and activations but it's still design yeah. somehow, you know, and it's 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 just been so surprising every time I start to bridge into a sort of new area of design. It's still design because design is problem solving, in my opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And so it's um, I was rarely putting pen to paper. I was rarely designing, you know, something it's it's funny, too, because when people look at my work these days, sometimes people are like, yeah, but what did you design? And I'm like, I haven't done that in a few years. <laughs> I made this whole community, you yeah. know, or like I I created this look and feel and this this vibe, you know, and it's like I, I curated this. I don't know. <laughs> like it's it's uh, I don't know how to describe it. Maybe I need to get better at describing it. But no, you I know, think you did a great job. But it's design. Yeah, it's just not graphic design. In, in that really traditional sense. So I got to do a lot of that kind of excellent, that kind of work with a really excellent team of people. And then COVID hit. And do you know what people weren't doing a lot of when COVID hit? Photo shoots, video shoots, yeah. events and activations. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of sort of recycled <laughs> stock footage of people looking scared yeah yeah a lot of like home home video campaigns oh, on people's God. cell phones oh. um so i lost my job at that point and that was the first time i had been laid off it was my first time being unemployed and it was really a challenge uh, i had been working a lot and traveling a lot and it was this sort of forced slowdown. Yeah. I got really into the birds in my backyard. That's great, though. So cool. And I uh, got pregnant 
and had a kid. (laughs) Fairly major life events. (laughs) Yeah. And I started, eventually, I started freelancing again, too. And freelance with some really great agencies with Studio Mega, with Sockeye, and, and with Happy Lucky again a little bit, and got to explore some work with clients who weren't Adidas through those other <laughs> agencies, which was really fun, and got to be on set, which was fun as, you know, being on set started to come back. I got to be a part of that, and uh, then went on a nice, long maternity leave of my own that which was funded by me because oh. <laughs> I was a freelancer at the time yeah and uh and then coming back from maternity leave is when I started to work with Studio A and Adidas really really awesome I feel like my whole career has sort of been leading up to this to be able to be the one influencing influencing the work on a higher level rather than being the agency that's assigned yeah. um, to create the work. So yeah, it's just been a great experience, especially managing again and influencing all of the digital creative for all of North America. So, you know, stuff on their website, Damn. On, their, on their blog, just a lot of photo and video shoots, which is what I love. Yeah. So. That's a, that's a, that's a big job. That's a very big job. Yeah, it's it's a really, really amazing team, and I'm definitely not doing it alone. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been one of the more exciting things that we've done um, in the last couple of years that we're, we're in the process. Uh, well, it's in the process of going live currently are uh, the holiday campaign uh, for last year and for this year, um, which typically is a global campaign. But we were really seeing a need to, to localize it for product reasons and timing reasons and for, you know, consumer reasons. Um, And so our team really took that on last year. We took it on late and it was a scramble, but we were really happy with the result. And then this year I came back. I actually went on maternity leave again last year. (laughs) This time, hopefully not self-funded. This one Adidas helped me out with, which was really, really wonderful. I'm so appreciative for that. But I came back in May. I I left in November. Holiday had just wrapped. Came back in May. Started holiday again. So it's been uh, a lot of <laughs> a lot of holiday joy, a lot of holiday spirit. Um, but it's a really wonderful undertaking, and to see my team really rise to the occasion, and to see the way that in this case it's just like the volume of work that our team is capable of. Studio A is new it's relatively new it's only two years old I came in sort of close to the beginning and have seen this this thing just get built up and just love the other leaders that I'm working with and I love all the designers and copywriters that I get to work with and the work that we create is interesting and I think you know it's a point that I wanted to make too which is that the briefs (laughs) look like every other brief you know what I mean like they're they're words on a page yeah and what's really special is what you do with that yeah you know so I think often there's this desire you're like is that going to be interesting work I don't know does that sound interesting I don't know but then you um it's it's really up to you you know and if you can find small ways to like find little wins like even on the smallest project if you're just like uh I just I just really want that to be purple and I, I want to try it this time. Then like do it and own it and like let that be your win. You know, find small wins where you can because we all know that 
often some some of the things that you might get really excited about might not see it to the end but find the wins where you can stay positive with those things and I think that's been really interesting about working in-house somewhere is that I think the work is more varied in an agency environment you don't know what the next brief is going to be you don't necessarily know that you're getting the same thing again next year right in-house the work is more predictable Oh, we're, we're going to do this. We did this last year. We're going to do it again. Yeah. And so then the challenge becomes a new set of obstacles, which is how do we do something different than we did last year? How do we keep this fresh? Not just for the consumer, not just for our stakeholders, but for us. Yeah. How do we find wins for us? Like, how do we continue to grow and and get better? You know, and, and which just, is such a hard thing if you're doing like the 50th Christmas campaign. In absolutely. A row. Absolutely. And I I just think. Staying curious is really important. And I also think mixing up teams, letting every voice be heard, yeah. letting people influence the work, like the opposite of how I used to feel where my idea is always right. I'm like, my idea is probably wrong. Yeah. What do you all think? <laughs> I want to hear. And especially, you know, you know, I'm not ancient, but as as I uh, age in this career, making sure that I'm enabling other voices to to bubble up and be heard you yeah know? like give give pass forward that gift that you got at sandstrom of absolutely like being able to be the the voice yeah which is like you know i love being in the work yeah and i miss it <laughs> <laughs> but i also really love being able to give like to to not give it's not mine to give but to not be an obstacle to other people having the opportunity to learn and grow in the same way I was. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Emily, if people want to find more about your work, where where do they go to do that? Uh, Yeah. So you could go to emilytatedesign.com. I do have a an Instagram, but it's not much. <laughs> you can go to the Adidas website. <laughs> go to adidas.com, everyone. You can go to my personal Instagram and see pictures of my kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I thank you so much for being here. This has been so much fun. Yeah. Um, this is also the, if this episode sounds a little different, this is our first episode recording in, in a new studio space so if you have heard train sounds that means i've failed uh <laughs> so let's hope you didn't hear train. Or that's just the new sound effects department oh that's know? true yeah well <laughs> yeah we had we sort of uh got taken over by the people who make thomas the tank engine so yeah they're i don't know they want train content and i don't know why but sure people oh, love trains people do love trains trains are pretty as a cool. mother of two young boys i can tell you oh yeah things with wheels nobody's more excited to get stuck at like a a level crossing on on division than families with small children so wonderful so much to see wow look at that what a big engine and it's just stopping and stopping and it's not moving it's been 25 minutes. I could Why do this for hours. <laughs> <laughs> and you will. Yes. Um, thank you again. Yeah, um, of course. Thank you. And thank you uh, to all of you out there who are hearing this. Uh, if you like this show, whether you're a new listener or an old listener or, uh, you know, some sort of 
in-between listener. I don't know what to call that, but sure, why not? Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the show in your podcast player of choice. Be that Spotify, be that YouTube, be that Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can search uh, the words that are in this show's title on the services to get subscribed to it. I, I don't know why I'm articulating this as though it's a new concept to people. I'm sure you figured it out before. You're listening to this one, aren't you? But you can also just go to our website, diddidothat.design, and they're all linked there. And also, I've worked really hard on the website, and it'll make me feel good that I didn't just it's waste beautiful. that. Thank you. It is. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Um, on that website, in fact, you can find some good, good images that go along with each and every episode, including this one. And if you want those images de- delivered directly to you, you can follow the show on Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn, assuming the last one you want to publicly embarrass yourself by showing support for us uh, on that platform. This is Did I Do That? I'm Sean Schumacher, and as we always say at the close of every episode... Did I do that? (laughs) Is that right? A a very excellent day. (laughs) Did I do that, everybody? Okay, bye! Bye. Oh, that was really good. It's a new studio. It's a new world. You can do whatever you want. (laughs) It truly is. It's a whole new world, a dazzling place where we belong. Way up here. It's crystal clear. (laughs) So clear. Just look through a dazzling window that you can't see. No, but I can see this lovely book collection. Yes, which also serves to deaden the sound. So it's... Oh, love (laughs) that. It was one of the first things I got in here. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.